Um, hear what the Spirit is saying to the church from the book of Romans. For, the, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, Ministry and ministering, the teacher and teaching, the exhorter and exhortation, the giver and generosity, the leader and diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit and serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. And do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But no, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Conrad, that's maybe the best reading I've ever seen, my friend. <laughs> Let's pray together. Loving God, as we step into this place, step into your word this morning, we, we sense our need for a way forward in this world. We sense the stuckness of some of our systems in our own ways. And it's not working. And so your word calls us to transformation of our mind, of our heart, and of our soul, and of the way in which we live with one another and for others. But this love often feels Sacrificial, scary, beyond our abilities. And so, Spirit of God, I pray that you would fill us with your presence, with your movement, with your power, with your grace in such a way that we may be able to embody the love that you have called and shaped and created us for. Lord, may you use the meditations of my heart, the words of my mouth. May you use my presence, its beauty and its brokenness, for your glory. In your name we pray, amen. Well, our world is filled with these big words, or words that we don't know what they mean anymore, such things as love, 
that we should just love others. What does that even mean? As you grow up in the church, you find that there is even more and more of these words that um, if you're coming from the outside, you start hearing them and you go like, I have no clue what people are talking about. Salvation, justification, the redemption and reconciliation of all things. Don't even get into the wording and the phrases and the images of end times. You know, I, get, um, I come from a seminary background where I was supposed to study the meaning of all these words, and I still don't understand them often. And I get so nervous in conversations that someone's going to bring up something, and I just usually shake my head, and I say, wait, but what do you think about that? <laughs> I'm still using my third grade justification, uh, like ju- justified didn't do anything? I don't know. Um, all these words and phrases about what do we mean And I think we often kind of hide behind them in our lives because we're scared about what does it mean to work them out in the way in which we live. Well, this idea for our church, this idea of the kind of what we're doing in this world is some of this idea of cultivating a beloved community. But we've wanted to pause and take some time and say, what do these words mean, beloved community? What, what does it look like in the world? What other movements, what other ways have we seen this happening in the early church and throughout the history of the church, even outside of the church? How can we be called to find what this means for us here and now and live into this story? And so I want to go through quickly. Here are a couple of things that we've talked through. That beloved community is one. It is a surrendering to the agape love of God, to the love of God that comes from the outside and transforms us internally. We surrender to this. To live in a beloved community means that we honor the dignity of all that we see in the beginning of Genesis to the very end of the scripture. This people being created in the image of God and holding dignity in and of themselves and that we create a world, a system and structures and community which honors the dignity of all. From the voice of the prophets we hear that beloved community is, is a seeking of justice and a collective liberation. And today I want to look at from Romans 12, after Paul does all this theological heavy lifting, moves us into Romans 12, in which we begin to find that this beloved community is rooted in an ethic, in a morality, in a way in which we are called to live in this world, and it is an ethic of genuine love. Romans 12, not in our passage, but right before it, starts with this all-encompassing, therefore. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper and spiritual worship, Paul writes. The therefore in this statement, the therefore that starts Romans 12 It comes after all this amazing, complicated, intercultural work in which Paul is trying to do for this new community. He's taking groups that have been separate, groups that hate each other, groups that actually kind of believe and practice different things and saying, we are beginning to find a unity in one God and in God's mercy. And so he does all the work of how this is happening. And then he says, because of all like kind of the headspace that we just talked about, therefore, I want you to move into practicing this together. And that therefore starts with one simple thing. Therefore, because of God's mercy for all. 
It is from God's mercy, from this agape love that we surrender, that therefore we begin to move into a new way of living together. Paul does such work, the Apostle Paul does such work kind of trying to create a new dynamic, a new way of inclusion. It is a radical inclusion of people, Jews and Gentiles, rich and poor, master, slaves, men and women coming together as one under one God. It is a radical inclusion that had not been seen before. And he does a deep theology of why this is true from the beginning of the story of scripture to its end. And Romans 12 says, therefore, move into this. You have been justified by grace. You have been given grace. All of you have. And so we find a life under one God, under the same God as a people, and you are to live it out together. With this groundbreaking truth, he then says, now how, now, how are we called to live as one body? With the truth that we have received the mercy, the grace, the forgiveness of God, how now are we supposed to live as one body, a community? What becomes our ethical way of being in the world together? All too often, sadly in our world, we sometimes lean into the idea of inclusion and we sacrifice the grit and the grounding of ethics, of a way of being together. But Paul holds both. A radical theological hospitality that is rooted in an embodied ethic, a way of living and caring for one another. He goes on to say, you are to offer your body as a living sacrifice, or some versions better describe as a spiritual sacrifice. A spiritual sacrifice and a spiritual worship. This is an act of worship. But the term spiritual here that Paul's writing, it, it can also be translated as a rational. In fact, in kind of extra biblical literature, rational worship is connected to an ethical behavior, the way in which we make choices and live together. And in the context of Romans 12, this all makes sense. It is a full-bodied worship which Paul calls us as a matter of our character of our bodies. We are truly to offer ourselves for the sake of others, to worship full-bodied. It happens in community as we live out our faith by serving one another. It happens outside our community and throughout our weeks and even to the point, he says, of extending our life, ourselves, our body, to our enemies. Worship is not a moment. It is not a song. It is not something we check in and check out of. Worship is a fully embodied everyday practice in the way in which we live together, not just in our own body, not just the embodiment of the individual, but the embodiment of the body itself, the community becoming a body. And so he talks about this individual and this communal aspect to a way in which we live and the way in which we work out this grace that has been given to us. So it's not just showing up to this world as an individual and doing what you can, but it's about 
Figuring out how do we submit the individual without losing it to the communal to shape a greater body. And in that body, living for the sake of others. I grew up in the church with um, things you may or may not know of, such as flannel graphs, um, trying to figure out how fast I could turn to certain books in the Bible so that I could prove I was better than others, or mostly they proved they were better than me. Um, and so I just want to take some time to practice that today. So, no, um, I love, you know what? I think all of that stuff, though, I can look back and kind of like shame it or just laugh at it. It was formative. There's still times where I'm in this world and all these like memory verses that I was forced to, to learn and read, um, they like come up into my mind and I'm thankful for them, for their words. So I went through the church, I, I tried to do all the motions, but there was a moment of deep conversion for me and it didn't happen up here. There was a moment of the conversion that moved into my very body and I experienced within a body. I went on a trip um, with a group to Oakland, California. And I didn't know what I was stepping into, but we went and served and were probably more served by a local church in the inner city of Oakland, California. And I got to see a spirituality and a life like I had never imagined before in a way in which a community comes together and loves each other and also is extending itself for the sake of others. And in that moment, it all clicked. There was an embodied experience of seeing this life in community, of seeing diversity coming together, of seeing of this love that we see so much throughout Scripture. And I experienced it, and I was a part of it, and it transformed who I was and who I am today. It moved worship from a memorization of facts, of theology, of good ideas, and it moved it down into the very feet of my own soul. And it wasn't just individual, but it was together. This is what Paul is calling us into. But what is this grounded, embodied ethic we are called to as individuals, as beloved community? This whole passage hinges on one clear, small phrase talking about all of the deep theology of like why we belong to God and what God has done for us, talking about how we work it out, it all hinges on this phrase, your love must be genuine. Let your love be genuine. Because of God's great mercy, we are called, empowered, and moved in to become instruments of this love. We are called, responsible, we may say. We owe the idea that all things in life are to be done with love. If God is love, then being devoted in love is participating in the very life, in the very being, in the very essence of who God is. As one body, both the individual and the communal body, we are called to the standard practice of love. In this one body of Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I think becomes a fuller representation of Christ. 
when we embody this body that lets love be its ethic and its genuine, we become to express a fuller representation of Christ and his kingdom than even the historic Jesus of Nazareth did. This is one of the reasons that Jesus moves out of the scene. If he was like, you know, I'll just take it from here, which he could have, but he said, no, there's a fuller expression, and it is my body living in a genuine love from the mercy of God, and when that becomes expressed in the world, then the full embodiment of Christ begins to be seen. And so we're called into this genuine love. And it goes on to represent where this love begins to surface.